I got mine on. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> All right. How, how's everybody today? Good. Praise God. As you know, we have been going through the book of Colossians. We're going to do some Bible thumping today. We're going to thump through the Bible in a couple of the places, as well as Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be going through 9 through 14. And uh, again, uh, you know, in my studies, is just uh, one of the things that I think that, and I see that we are in need of doing and, and being able to uh, at least cover. Uh, and I'm sure I'm going to cover some things that you already know, uh, but but I, I still want to make sure that we get we grasp this because as we see, as we'll see here in just a bit, it was very important to the Apostle Paul. It was very important to Jesus Christ, and it was very important to the rest of the apostles as well. And um, Jesus always promised us that you would have an abundant life, okay? Remember that. God has pro- Jesus Christ said you will have life and life abundantly. But think about this. Think about this. John the Baptist was thrown into prison. Paul was thrown into prison. John the Baptist was beheaded, so was Paul. Peter was crucified upside down. Nathaniel was sawed in two. Uh, James uh, was was killed by the sword, and John was boiled in oil. You see, God has promised us an abundant life, not an abundant lifestyle. He didn't promise us a lifestyle that is going to be prosperous and glorious on this planet. This planet is not our home. And what Paul is dealing with in the people to the people in Colossae, he's, he's talking to them about all the different religions that are coming in and talking to them about, you know, you, you cannot pay attention to all these, these sayers and these people that proclaim that they're hearing voices from somewhere and God is, they've got this mystical religion and this mystical wisdom and their wisdom is above anybody else and because they are smarter than other people, that means, according to them, that they are closer to God. And that's the whole premise of Gnosticism. Gnosticism has always been a very mystical, special type of religion, which is it's in the church now, where people claim to have visions and, and wisdom from above and outside of the sources except for Scripture. The Bible is our only source of authority. Amen? It's the only source of revelation. And, and you know, there are a lot of things out there that sound good. And, and, and they may sound good. And one of the things that I, I like to do and always do, and I share that with you, is, is if it's if it lines up with Scripture, then you don't need it because you got the Word of God, right? Amen. If it lines up with Scripture, then you don't need it. And if it doesn't line up with Scripture, then you don't want it. And Paul was dealing with people not only in this mystical religion, he was also dealing with the traditions of the Jews and and all the laws and everything else that they had to follow. And Paul is. He, Paul has gotten this news from uh, Epaphras, from the, one of the pastors. I think I believe, and we believe that he was the pastor of Coloss, and he ministered also to uh, the other three places uh, that that were out there, the two places that were there, and other churches in those areas. And we believe it was him that brought the news to Paul. And he says, "Paul, you know, you know, they're, they're holding firm." But these guys are just like wolves, ravenous wolves, and they're coming in, and, and they're trying to take over, and they're trying to... But, but you, what you taught them, and what you shared with them, has been solid, and they're standing firm. And so when we walk through this portion of Scripture, we have to understand that these people in Coloss, for the most part, we, we kind of tend to think that they were solid Christians, they were, they, were, they were stable, they were learned, and yet Paul says in the, in the, in the portion that I'm going to be reading over this morning, in verses 9 to 11, or 14, he says, and so, remember, okay, remember this, whenever it says, and so, or therefore, we got to stop and say, well, so what? And so what? Or what, what, when you see the word therefore, we got to see, what's it there for? Well, remember last week, we were talking about the gospel message, and how it is proclaimed, and how they grasp it, and how they're growing in it, and the, their faith in Jesus Christ, uh, uh, you know, which they've come to, to you, and indeed, the whole world is hearing, and it's bearing fruit, and increasing, and, and, and it does among you, and since the day that we heard, and you, you heard it, you understood the grace of God and truth, just, just as you learned it from uh, Epaphras, and from, you know, and Paul is just excited and he's starting the letter by saying you know you guys are just grounded in the word of God and grounded in that gospel and you know that it's by by faith alone through grace alone and Christ alone and you know this and so he says from the day we heard of all we just kind of went over we have not not ceased to pray for you 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Father in heaven, let this be the prayer of every pastor to every church, to every God-honoring, Bible-believing people that have claimed your name and salvation for which you give. For those that genuinely worship you and have come to know you as the Son of God, God himself, God in the flesh. So, Father, I just thank you for this portion of Scripture as we move forward. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, it is interesting that when Paul says, and so from the day we heard about the gospel, about the message, about how you guys are bearing fruit, how you guys are holding on, and since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. You know, it's interesting that we always ask for prayer requests, or we say, you know, I've got a prayer need or a concern. And by the way, I just want to say I thank you so much for praying for me for my travels as I went to, uh, the, well, to went to Fresno this last week and spent time with my mom, which seems to be the, the last days of her life. And um, they're holding, she's holding on, she's holding on, she's holding on, and, they're, and, and so it's going to be some time, I think. And I just said, you know, my farewells, and, and I thank you for that because I pray for you as well when you're going through things, you know, when, when you're experiencing heartache or sickness or when you're experiencing some sort of pains and when you've experienced loss. And I, I, I pray for you in that manner. But see, Paul is not praying for the people of his church because they've lost something or someone or they're sick. He is praying for them because they are grounded in God's word. Because I am praying for you. I want this to be my prayer for you as well. I want to pray for you because you are grounded in God's gospel. Because that is when the enemy is going to attack. That's exactly what's happening at the church. Here he comes. He comes in sneakily. He comes in from within. There are tares within the wheat. They, they are, they are, you know, sheeps in wolves clothing, trying to devour everything that, that, uh, that has been growing there and everything that Paul has taught is now being questioned. You're being questioned about your beliefs. You're being questioned about your, your, uh, traditions. You're being questioned about everything in this culture. And this culture is tearing you apart. And it's tearing your children apart. And your children are questioning. And the greatest authority in their life is no longer you, the grandparents, but it's the TV, it's their phone, and the school system now. And that's just the world. But when you bring it into the church, it's very deceptive. You can't see it unless you are grounded. Paul says, I want to pray for you. I have not ceased praying for you because I know, I know that I know that I know. As a matter of fact, before Paul was arrested, he was up in uh, by Ephesus and the elders of Ephesus came over and Paul prayed for them and says, look, just be careful, okay? Because when I leave, ravenous wolves are going to come in and they're going to try to take over. Everywhere I go, they have followed me. And they keep preaching this other gospel, which is no gospel at all, he says to the people in Galatians. He says, and if anybody preaches to you a different gospel, let them be cursed and cursed again and cursed one more time because there is no other gospel, only Jesus Christ. And Paul knew this. He's talking from experience. He knew the law backwards and forwards. He knew what Moses had proclaimed and preached about Messiah was to come. The Christ, which is in the New Testament in Greek. Messiah, the same word, which both terms mean the anointed one. And in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to Messiah. Jesus Christ came. Paul didn't believe it until he was knocked down by this bright light. And he became the, a herald, the, the main proponent, the guy that wrote the most of the New Testament trying to explain to us that Jesus Christ is the only way. And then here comes these guys, and Paul says to them, look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And they cried, and they begged, they begged him, Paul, don't go, don't go. They're waiting for you. They're going to arrest you. I got to go. I got to go. 
And they did. They arrested him. He was two years in Jerusalem, two years up in Rome. And from that point forward, tradition says that he was beheaded. We don't have it in scripture, but that's what we think. And that's what we believe. That's what we know. But in that time, as soon as the gospel message went out, the, the Bible started to be proclaimed and started to be, uh, crafted and put together the 66 books that we have now that tell one complete story, that word of God started to be challenged. And Paul says, I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying for you. I thank you for your faithfulness and your desiring to serve and be a part of this and for your travels from, you know, all the way from wherever you're traveling, from up there somewhere. I don't even know what the name of that place is called, but it's far away. <laughs> I thank you for putting up with the teaching of this church and, and of the word of God because I, and I, and I want to pray for you as Paul did. My prayer for you is that number one, that you grow, that you grow in the knowledge of God's will. I want you to grow. And Paul says, you know, after, after knowing your salvation, after knowing what you've been through, I want you to continue to grow. This is not a one and done thing. You don't just raise your hand, come forward and pray and okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. This is a continuous process. Paul says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge and his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul says, I want you to be filled with this knowledge. I want you to be filled with the knowledge and spiritual wisdom. But more importantly, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. You see, because God's will is what you need to know. And you know, I, we've gone over this before, and, and I'm, I wasn't going to touch on this as much right now, but I will maybe later some other time. But God's will is basically simple. It's, it's in his word. It's not like he hides it. Everybody keeps asking, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? Does he want me to do this? Does he want me to do that? He wants me to marry this person. He wants me to work at this job. What's God's will for my life? Should I study this course? Should I study that course? What's God's will for my life? And, and in essence, many years ago, in the early centuries, a man named Augustine, you know, just really just on fire for God and loved God. And he recognized God's word. He says, you know, if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength, you want to know God's will? Just do what you want. People say, what? <laughs> you know, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then do what you want. Because what you're going to do is based upon your love with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all, with everything that you have. You're gonna, it's gonna be based upon your love toward God, and God is going to show you what He wants you to do. But what about this job over here? You know, I don't think God really cares what kind of job you have. As long as it's not illegal, unethical, or immoral, okay, please, don't walk away from your say, Pastor Sal said I could be a bartender. You know, no, don't do that. Uh, you know, he said I can work it. You know, don't, don't go there. As long as it's not unethical, illegal, or immoral, I believe that God says, you know, just go. And work, in the, use that place of business. If you build the business, use that place of employment, that, of whatever it is, to use it as a platform to proclaim Jesus Christ. See, and here's the scary part for most of us, for some people, is that we work in a very secular pagan world. But Paul said to them, I want you guys to grow in this. And these guys, their things were taken away. Their lives were taken away. I want you to grow in this, and I want you to proclaim the gospel message because God's will is that no one perish. And we don't know who those people are. Another thing God wants us to do is he wants us to, 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 be able, to, be, to live a sanctified life. That is God's will. God's will is to be sanctified. In other words, to be growing and growing more. Sanctification is the process of being separated from the world. He wants you to suffer. This is God's will. For he wants you to suffer according to his will. He wants you to be submissive to all authorities. But that's according to God's will. You know, like I said, I, didn't, I wasn't prepared for that part because we've already covered that sometime before. But, but I'll bring it back again. I'll show you the verses on those. But, but see, those are, those are just some of the things that God says, these are God's will. When you are submissive to authorities, when you are suffering for Christ's sake, when you are being sanctified, when you're separated, when you're saved, you are doing God's will. It's not that complicated, beloved, really. But we complicate it so much, and we want to ask all kinds of questions. And we, we see stories in the Old Testament, well, Gideon did this. He took a, a, a lamb's fleece, and he laid it out on the ground and says, God, if you really want me to do something, you'll make that wet, and everything else is going to be dry. The next morning, that thing was wet, and everything was dry. Okay, let me do this again. I'm going to put this down this time, and everything else is going to be wet, but that's going to be dry. And so we stand back, and that thing is 
dry and everything else is wet. And we tend to want to do stuff like that. Well, I'm going to throw out a fleece before the Lord. And if he opens that door, I guess that's the way I'm going to go. Lord, you know, there's two doors here. Which one should I go through? And if that one opens up just miraculously, then I'm going through that one. If I can't get through that one, that means I'm not supposed to go through that. That's not how God works. He doesn't ask you to knock on doors or break doors down or walls down. He asks you to be submissive. He asks you to be sanctified. He asks you to be saved. That is his will. He asks you to suffer for Christ in whatever position you're at and whatever you're doing. But he's asking you to grow in this knowledge. And the fact that you are here, the fact that you're wanting to grow, indicates your thirst and your desire for God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know, in Proverbs 19.2, this is not in your outlines, but hopefully we'll we'll get it up here soon. In Proverbs 19.2, it says, desire without knowledge is not good. You know, you might have all kinds of desire. I think I want to do this. I think, you know, but you don't have no knowledge of God's word. That's not good, he says. And whoever makes hastes with his feet misses his way. In other words, I'm going to go this way. Oh, and I'm going to go this way. I'm going to do this. No, I'm going to do that. You know, you lose yourself eventually. Where are you going? I think God's calling me here. I've had people tell me this all the time. I believe God called me to this church. Well, great. That's good. Well, I believe God's calling me somewhere else. So what? Did God mess up? Did he change his mind? Did he fool you? (laughs) Did he call you here or not? Well, he did, but now I got to go. Okay. I believe God called me to marry this person. Really? Yeah, you know, five years later, I don't believe God really called me to do that. That was my, you know. You know, you see, when, when people are just making haste decisions based upon emotion. Now, don't get me wrong. Emotions are needed within the, the concept of worship and, and connecting with God in such a, 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 a spiritual and emotional sense. But when you're driven by emotion and that's all what you feel, I feel or I think. The moment you start off by, I feel or I think, I'm just going to stop you right there and say, you know what, but what does the word of God say? Well, I think that, and you, you fill in the blanks. Because my imagination go, go wild. That's why we only use God's word. Look, the next verse in Isaiah 5.13 says, Therefore my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry and their multitude is parched with thirst. Because they have no knowledge. No knowledge of God's word. They have no knowledge of what he is saying. And it's not difficult. I think that some pastors and some churches and some people just make it difficult. I gave a, I gave a, uh, a Bible to a young man, and, and uh, I guess somebody had asked him, says, well, ask your, ask your pastor to give you a men's Bible. You know, they have women's Bibles and men's Bible. And he says to me, hey, pastor, do you have a men's Bible? I said, that is a man's Bible. He says, no, no, I want a men's Bible. That is a man's Bible. That Bible is sharp. When you start to handle it, it's going to cut you. It's a double-edged sword. It cuts on both sides. When you handle it and when you use it, it'll cut. No, no, but I want one with all the explanations. No, you don't want that. (laughs) Use this word. You don't need any other outside sources. That's all you need. You need God's understanding, not somebody else's understanding, not somebody else's knowledge. In 1 Corinthians 14.20, he says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. The only way to get mature is to dive into God's word. And and I pray that this is not the only time that you're receiving God's word, that this is not the only place that you're reading your Bible, that this is not the only time that you're looking for God's word in his Bible, in his word. I pray that you are just diving in, and these are just starting you off. And, and you know, if I had two hours, I would go two hours, you know, but, but I don't know if I can last that long. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I, I try to give you as much information. And, and, you know, I've heard this a few times already. You know, you give a lot of information. Well, I just want one of them to stick, okay? If you get two, great. If you get three or four, but everything that I've written down for you and I've typed that, take it home, study it, meditate upon it. Use that for the rest of the week. Find some, I don't know, some way to apply that to your life. Because I do give a lot more information. Because, well, there's a lot of information in here. That's why we take it step by step. Amen? You see, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, Paul says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Why? To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine or teaching, by human cunning, by craftiness 
in deceitful schemes. See, Paul keeps talking to the church in Ephesus and Colossus and Galatia. He's talking to these churches. There's people coming in with all kinds of winds of doctrine and teaching with human cunningness. They're eloquent in their speech and they can tell you all kinds of things and stories and their craftiness and their deceitful schemes just to get money or power or prestige or whatever it is that they're trying to do, but they don't do it for the glory of God. They're doing it for their own selfish needs and their own selfish reasons. Paul says, I want you to grow in unity of the faith, to mature manhood and no longer be children. It's amazing on how many people, uh, you know, Christians that have been Christians for many years. They tell me, oh, I've been a Christian for 20 years. And I look at them and I even told one brother, this is brother, you haven't been a Christian for 20 years. You've been a one-year-old Christian 20 times. Grow, get off of the milk. You've got to get into the Word of God. You've got to grow in this knowledge. Now, how are you going to know God's will if you don't get into His Word? Look at the rest of uh, Ephesians 4, verses 17 and 18. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles or the world or those outside of the faith in the futility of their minds. Their minds are futile. In other words, they're just empty. They're just, it makes nonsense. It, it just, it's not working. There's, they want you to believe that this universe was created out of nothing that that all this organization came out of chaos you know that that the human life just began i don't have that much faith to believe and and be an atheist i don't it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a christian to be honest with you but people just in there and this is the common thread from the beginning of time Paul goes on to say they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. This is why Paul tells Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Because, he also tells Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. For what? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word is what we need. And Paul, he, he shared with us in Philippians, he says, and it is my prayer, he was always playing, he played, prayed for the people in Philippi as well. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. See, when you have knowledge of God's Word, when you have knowledge, you can make right decisions. When you don't have knowledge, you make the decisions that what you're basing things on. A lot of us make decisions based on emotion. A lot of us make decisions based upon, you know, what I feel or what I think or what I see or what I've heard. We need to make decisions based upon God's Word. You see, Paul says, I want you to abound. I want you to grow more and more with knowledge. And then with knowledge, you'll have discernment. You'll be able to discern. That's not a good choice. You see, right doctrine leads to right living. Now, just because you have right doctrine doesn't necessarily equate to right living. You've got to put it into practice. You may know it, but you've got to have the discernment to actually apply it as well. That's why Peter told his, uh, his church, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Number two. Paul says, this is my prayer. Not only that you, not only to, uh, that, that we have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, as, and so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him in, in all things. So number two, to walk worthy of the Lord. Again, this is a the theme that Paul has. We've talked about this before. Peripateo. Peripateo is the, where we get a word podiatrist, the, the foot doctor, you know, uh, and, and you're walking. It's, it's in essence what it is. It's your style of life and how you're going. Not necessarily how you literally walk, but your life, what you're doing with it, where you're going with it, how you're walking. And Paul is, is praying and he's praying for them. I want you, I'm praying for you so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. You want to please God? Walk in the Lord. Walk in what he's already said. Again, you cannot know what he says if you're only getting your feeding once a week. You've got to do this on a daily basis, on a regular basis. Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You see, when we think about, well, how do I do, what's that mean to be worthy of the Lord? Does that mean I've got to, you know, beat myself? I've got to get 
crucified. I've got to, you know, get rid of everything. Well, be walking worthy of the Lord is understanding and recognizing that, first of all, you cannot do what the Lord Jesus Christ has already done for you. Salvation is not of your part. You can't do anything for it. Jesus Christ took care of that on the cross. And when somebody does something for you, saves your life, you cannot be another doctor. If, if you go to the hospital and you had a heart attack and they save your life, you know, you can't be a doctor. But you, what you know what you can be is a representative of that doctor. And you can say, you know, that doctor, he really helped me out. That hospital, the staff, those people, you know, I, and, and you can give them all the glory and all the attention. If you ever have a heart attack or if you ever have whatever the case may be, I'd like for you to go see this doctor or this person. And when, when you, when you are walking worthy of the Lord, you're walking worthy of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. What has He done? Well, think about it. What He did is He gave us the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is what He gave us. He gave us the cross in order for us to recognize that it is finished. As a matter of fact, this is one of Paul's themes throughout uh, his, his epistles and in, in, uh, to the people in Thessalonica. He says, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. To the people in Ephesus in Ephesians 4.1, this is in your outlines, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And to the people in Philippi, in first, uh, Philippians 1, 27, he says, Only let your manner of life worthy be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, and that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Walk, walk, walk. Walk together. Serve, strive, walk together, work. Walk in the uh, worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our life should be copying, imitating Jesus Christ. Paul himself says, follow my example, Paul says, as I follow the example of Christ. We learn in the book of Philippi, Philippians, that they are, that uh, Paul says, follow our example, do as we do. And he was bold enough to include those that were right around him. Are you bold enough to include the people that are around you to say, hey, do as I do? Can you say that? Can you be bold enough to proclaim that? I, I want you to do like I'm doing. And that's what it means to walk. You, you, you walk in such a way, you influence others in the same pattern, in the same manner, and you ask them to do the same thing with somebody else. To walk with the Lord in the light of His Word is to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. People come to church because they want to be happy in Jesus. Jesus, fill me with this happiness. Fill me with this joy, this laughter. I want to cry. I want to bow. I want to, oh my God, and I want to owe oh this and all that. You want, to, you want to be happy? Trust and obey. Trust that God has got everything taken care of. You see, when you understand the gospel message, when you understand that God is taking care of everything, salvation is yours then everything is taken care of. It doesn't matter what happens on this world. It doesn't matter what happens on this planet because God has taken care of it. When you trust Him with your whole life, with the life of your family, with the life of your salvation, when you trust Him, you, all you have to do now is just obey. What do I obey? Well, what the Word of God says. Beautiful song. And you know, Paul, it was easy for Paul to do this because in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. You see, that's what he did. When Jesus Christ got crucified, I put my sin up, up there and I put myself up there. So now I have nothing left. It's just Christ in me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, this is a high order. This is a tall order. This is, this is a high calling. This is not easy believism. This is not come forward, raise your hand, get baptized, and join the church, and yes, that's it. You're done. No. That's just the beginning. And yeah, a lot of people will fall away. You know, people say, well, what about the people that fell away? What about those guys? They, they got saved. They came forward. Oh, they made a big commotion. They were, you know, praising God and forgiveness and all kinds of stuff, and, and then they fell away. What about those guys? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because number three, 
See, Paul is praying not only for them to, to uh, grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and to walk worthy of the Lord, but he's also praying that you bear fruit. See, I, I pray that, that you, you continue to grow in the knowledge of God's will. And I pray that you walk worthy of the Lord, not only on Sunday mornings while we go from here to there, to the fellowship hall, but from this place that your walk is continuous with the Lord. And I pray for you because I know that the moment you start doing that, you're going to get opposition. I know this. It's, it's been a lot of years for me. I can't even remember now. You know, it's been a lot of years. Some of you have already started to experience that after your life started to change. And, and because you do that, then, then you're going to automatically bear fruit. A believer bears fruit. There is no such thing as a fruitless believer. You're either a believer or you're not. If you're a believer, you're going to bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, then I would question your salvation. Because bearing fruit is a huge indicator. As a matter of fact, it was a very powerful indicator. It was, it was so much on Jesus' mind that he just, he schooled his disciples the night he was betrayed. During Passover, turn with me to John chapter 15. And this is where we're going to spend a little bit of time. We're going to probably camp here for a little bit. Maybe, I, I don't know, and that might be true. We just may camp here because this was so important to Jesus Christ that he told his disciples, by now they have had their meal, by now Judas has gone out and betrayed Jesus, and by now he's gotten his 30 pieces of silver, by now the things, everything is just lining up. And by now his disciples are already fearing that something's going to happen. You know, they were sorrowful because he kept saying to them, I'm going to leave, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be executed. And so in this prayer, in this time that he's with his disciples, and you got to understand that this is the point right where uh, in chapter 14 where he says, let not your hearts be troubled because their hearts were troubled. In, uh, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, not, I would have told you that I go and prepare a place for you, he says. And I go and prepare a place for you. And they ask him, where are you going? And he says in verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in chapter, uh, in chapter 14, later on in verse 15, he, he, uh, he includes also uh, the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he's, he's just schooling them. He's drilling this into them. He, well, of course we love you, Jesus. You know, we'll keep my commandments. So look, we're sharing this meal with you. You know, and they didn't know what Judas went to go do. They thought maybe that Judas went to go pay for the bill or I don't know what they thought. But they had no idea what Judas was doing. And Jesus is schooling them. He's instructing them. He's teaching them. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And, and so in essence, they're like, well, where are you going? What do you mean another helper? Why do we need another helper? We have you. I'm going to send to you the comforter. I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit, he says. And then in chapter 15, he opens it up. Now, pay close attention here. Now, if you have a pen, there's some words that I'd like for you to underline just, just because. And uh, you can go back and see them later. But in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Go ahead and circle that. Or Yeah, circle that. And circle every time you see that word. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away every branch that does not bear fruit. He proves that, in my, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Underline abide. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so to prove to be my disciples and the father has loved me. So I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Over ten times, one time he says, in me, which is another way of saying abide in me. Ten times at least he says, abide, 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 abide. Six times he says, you will bear fruit, you will bear fruit, you will bear fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, guess what? He clips that branch off and he throws it away. And you know what he does with that branch? He lets it wither and dry and then it's burnt up. See, don't know if you guys have ever worked with grapes. And that's basically what they're talking about here, the, the vine, which is the grapevine. There were a lot of those all over the place. They grew wild and, and just they, they just took off in all kinds of different ways. We used to pick grapes in the Fresno area when I was younger. And one of the things that we did on the off season was to go and prune the vines. Pruning vines is usually done around this time of the year, actually a little bit later in uh, November, December, and January. And uh, we would go out because it's cold and, and you know, when, the, when you cut something, it's, it's dormant. It doesn't bleed out as much. And when you, when you get to the, by the time you get to the vines in th- this time of the year, in wintertime, the leaves have all dried up and they've all withered away. And all you have is this hairy mess of vines all over the place. The workers have already come and picked up all the clusters of grapes and used them for wine or raisins or whatever the case may be. Then you have to have these specialized people that know how to prune the vines. Because if you cut the wrong vine, I mean, it'll grow again, but it's going to be some time. You got to be careful on how, which vines you're going to grow, which, which vines you're going to cut. And once you've done all the pruning, you take all the branches. You can't use the branches for anything. That kind of wood is useless. A Christian that does not bear fruit is useless. This is the picture that Jesus Christ is showing. He said, you need to abide in me. You've got to have this fruit growing in you. You've got to have this fruit just flowing from you because otherwise you're just useless. And, and what God uses, what God uses to be able to cut is a knife. They use knives, or you know, we use pruning shears and the handles. And the handle of the knife is the discipline that God uses in your life to get you to start to grow. You see, because after you prune the vines and get rid of all the dead stuff, then the springtime, the springtime starts to come. You got to go back out there again. You got to go back out there again and start to, you know, you don't want all the vines to grow a lot of grapes. Because if you do that, then they're going to grow and they're going to grow in big old clusters and you'll get a lot of grapes, but you're not going to get quality grapes. All the sugar is going to be sucked up by all the sucklings at the bottom. You have all these little sucklings that come out, all these little buds that come out of the branches. And so you've got to go out there with, with pruning shears or with handles and clip them little by little so that, in essence, you would leave the good vines behind and they would grow. And these grapes will just grow. My, my niece and, and uh, her husband, they own 100 acres up in uh, Oregon, and I've been up there, and I've watched them process the grapes and what they do and how they do this, and, and I've watched them and how carefully, meticulously they, they take care of the vines and they baby them, and if it gets too cold in the winter, they put out heaters, and, and uh, you know, it's just, you got to take care of them. God takes care of his vineyard in the winter time of your life. God is bringing the winds of his warmth to to warm you for those that are plugged into the vine. He's going to come in the, in the springtime when things are good and things are just, oh, the sun's coming out, the flowers are coming out, and he's going to come and he's going to clip this and he's going to clip that relationship and he's going to clip those people and he's going to clip that job from you. He's going to clip and cut and clip because he wants you to bear fruit. Beloved. Because otherwise, the alternative is just get rid of you. Just cut them off. And you see, when Jesus says, if you abide in me, you got to get into the word. You got to abide in Jesus Christ. You will bear fruit. And, and it's going to hurt. Believe me, it, it, it hurts. I, I've been through so many trials. You know, to be honest with you, it, it hurts, but it, it doesn't knock you down. It shouldn't knock you down. You can't just throw it all away. And as the vine dresser, which is God in this picture, as the vine dresser does this, you see, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away every branch that does not bear fruit. He prunes that it may bear fruit, every tree, every branch that does bear fruit. And he, then he says in verse 3, check this out, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You see, you don't need to get replanted. You don't need to get, uh, you know, transplanted. God's already spoken the word to you, so you're already clean. Now what he needs to do is just to prune you a little bit here and a little bit there. And you notice, as I said earlier, Judas 
has been cut off and thrown out. He was worthless. No fruit. By all intent and purposes, Judas was probably the best qualified to follow Jesus Christ. He was, you know, he was good with money. He was good in relationships. He was good in, in talking with the Pharisees. I mean, that, that was his, that was his responsibility. Peter was loudmouthed and arrogant and a fisherman and he stunk and drank beer. I don't know if they drank beer. I mean, he was a fisherman. Think about, you know, he, he was, he used to use sailor words and all kinds of stuff. James and John, the sons of thunder, they were just, ah, let's kill everybody. Come on, let's go. You know, Nathaniel was like a crybaby and, you know, everybody, if you look at all these people in their lives and what their personalities were like, Judas was the most upstanding, righteous person in the group. Probably the most responsible one. That's why they gave him the money bags. You see, that does not constitute fruit. You have fruit. Yes, many of us do. But is it the fruit that Jesus Christ is talking about here? Because if you don't bear fruit, you're useless. But because you have the word, he says, it's already in you. And look what he says in verse 4. He goes on to say, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. You see, you're not the vine. You're not the trunk. You're not the root. You're just the vine. You know, if, if you don't prune that vine, it'll get top heavy and it'll break the rest of the, the vine. And, and then all the sugars that go into the grape will just get wasted. And, and so you, you want to concentrate. God wants to concentrate that fruit in your life so that it can grow abundantly and so that you can have an abundant life, not an abundant lifestyle. He wants to give you the point. He, he's given it to you. And, and, well, I'm going to get there right now. I almost went there. Uh, look at verse uh, 6. He says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. A picture of hell. A graphic picture of hell. 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, there's his word again. It's his word. It's his word. It's his word. He keeps pointing back to the word, not your thoughts, not your mysticism, not your thinking, whatever, traditions. It's his word. It's his word, beloved. Know the word. If you abide in my words, abide in me, and ask whatever you wish, and, he, and he will, it will be done for you. You know, that needs to be unpacked, but I'm not going to do that now. People use this verse and say, you know, hey, God says I can. Jesus said, just ask anything and I, I can get it. Okay, are you abiding? Are you bearing fruit? Are, are you submit? You know, anyways. We'll have to touch that on some other time. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified. You want to glorify God? That you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. We're starting to get the picture. How do I abide? How do I you know, participate? Well, the commandments, God's word. God's commandments are called His Word, His His law, His decrees, His His you know His Word. I mean, it's it's what it's in the Word of God. That's those are His commandments. Two things that we get out of this: number one, there is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Number two, if you don't bear fruit, you're thrown away. You're worthless. You're useless. The problem is, we have come to that question. So, what is fruit? <laughs> okay. Uh, how does that work? Okay, I, I want to bear fruit. I don't even know if I'm bearing fruit. Am I bearing fruit? You know, Pastor Sal, that's some harsh words. I'm sorry. I'm just the messenger. I'm giving it to you what Jesus Christ said. But it's a good question. How do I bear fruit? What is it that, that causes us to bear fruit? First of all, let me go to Hebrews. We just did 15, uh, 1 through 2. Uh, let me go to Hebrews, and hopefully it'll come up on, this, on the screen here. Uh, Hebrews 12, verses 7 and 11. It says here, for the moment, it says here, it says here, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What the writer to the Hebrews is saying, he says, you know, some of you are, are being disciplined, and please do not take discipline as punishment. Punishment and discipline are two different things. Punishment has been taken care of on the cross, okay? And, and it, it was done in the past, but discipline is being done right now to you, and it's for your future, See, punishment was done in anger. The wrath of God was unleashed on Jesus Christ. But see, and that was for things that you have done. But, but discipline is done in love for things that you need to do. 
You see the difference? Punishment is what the, 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 the wrath of God is, but discipline is to correct you. And the writer says, uh, in verse, he goes on to say, a little bit later he'll say, you know, if a son isn't disciplined, if he's not disciplined, you then maybe you're not his son. You're an illegitimate child. Like me, I wouldn't discipline my neighbor's kids, even though I wanted to couple of times. Maybe I throw a rock at them every once in a while, but you know, I, I couldn't discipline them. They weren't my kids. I disciplined my kids. And the, the same thing is true with God. And, and what he uses is his word. Look at Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's a sword, and that's what God uses to discipline. The pruning shears, the pruning shears. And after, we already read John 15, 4 through 5, but after that, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, 17. I told you this is a two-bottled message. <laughs> in Matthew 7, 17, he says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit. Jesus' words. This is before going up to the, 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 the room, the upper room. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Now right here, he's, he's in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about sheep's and wolves' clothing. Beware of those guys. Beware of the trees that are diseased because they're going to bear bad fruit. And he's talking about people. He's talking about philosophies. He's talking about religion. And he says, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. I'm going to share with you what the fruits are before we're done today. Okay, what, what are fruits? Because we have to be able to recognize people by their fruits. And we need to be careful of who we let into our life. And, and God is going to snip away some family members from your life because he wants you to grow. He's going to snip away some friends, some places that you've been to. He's going to snip away some attitudes, some things that you're holding on to. He's going to cut and snip. And you know what, beloved? I'd like to tell you that once we cut and prune those vines, we were done. No, once they grew, we did it again next autumn and spring. And we did it the following year. And they're continuing doing the same thing every year. This is the process that God uses in your life until he's done with you. Some people, someone asked me, when, Pastor Sal, when, when is all this going to be over? And I said, well, the day that I stand over your coffin box, I tell everybody, this guy is not receiving any more pruning. <laughs> he is done. She is done. And until then, beloved, you're going to experience it. You will see it. Luke put it this way, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. So, okay, so what is the fruit? Again, it's, it's Jesus, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides, it's got to abide, it's got to abide, it's got to abide, he keeps saying. You got to abide, you got to stay, you got to stay connected. Do what you can to stay connected. Love God, honor him, trust, obey, abide, abide, abide in his word. The very first thing that we know about the fruit is, well, the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul says, you know, here's the fruit. You want to know some fruit? Here's the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. When you are a believer, automatically you receive the fruit, uh, you receive the Holy Spirit, which he himself carries this fruit inside of you. And you notice in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it doesn't say, but the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. It's not this fruit bowl that you can just come along and say, oh, I think I need this one today. I'll take patience. You know, is there any more patience? No, everybody else is already taking that. Well, I, we need more patience, you know, because every, everybody's coming for patience, right? Everybody wants patience. Self-control, that's the last one. But this is the fruit in the believer's life. And you want to know how it works out? Well, first of all, fruit of the Spirit is love. I mean, if you can't love people, I would definitely say you have a problem. You can't love people, especially the unlovable. It's easy to love those that love you, but what about the unlovable? What about those that call you names and ridicule you and blame you? Those that persecute you and spit on you and pluck your beard and those that nail you to a cross and put this fake crown on your head just to make fun of you and strip you naked and put you out in public display. What about those people? Love. Love. 
Jesus did. Forgive them, Father. They, they really don't know what they're doing. He had so much compassion and love for the people that he asked God to forgive them. Love. A love that is so profound and so deep that regardless of what anybody does to you, you can still love that person. Beloved, a lot of people get hung up right there. Right there. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit that we're talking about. A lot of people have been burned so bad. You've been hurt so, so deep. You have been ridiculed and all kinds of things. I will never love that person in my life. That person can never enter my house. You got to love them. You don't have to let them in. You still got to love them. Love. You know, when you have love, you get joy. It, it just, everything just seems to, okay, you know, I, I see your point of view, you know, and, and I'm sorry I hurt you. You know, this is my stance, and I'm going to rejoice anyways. I'm going to rejoice for you too, and I pray that you receive the same love and, and you can have the same joy. And, and I, can, I can have joy right now. I mean, as you know, some of you probably know that as I went up to, to Fresno to go visit my mom, she's literally laying on her hospital bed, I mean her deathbed. And um, according to her wishes, she desired to stay alive. I'm not really too sure why that is. And it's, it's ugly. It's painful to watch. It's, you know, you've, some of you have seen that already. But this is going to go on for days or maybe weeks. I said my farewells. This is, you know, Mom, I, I can't. I, well, she couldn't hear me anymore either. You know, it's just, if this is what you want, then I can't stand to watch that. And I'm okay with that. I mean, it's kind of hard to explain. But I have joy in my heart because I know that the last thing she said to me when I, when she was, when she was just right there, she said to me, I, I want to go with God. I want to go with God. And I says, Hey, she changed her mind. No, she didn't. Yeah, she, she changed her mind. No, she didn't. You know, she, she wants to go. And no, she doesn't. You know, so that's a whole different story. But anyways, the doctor's orders are her orders. Those are her last wishes. And so we're going to wait. We're going to wait. Even though I may not agree with it, I'm at peace and I have joy in my heart because she told me she wanted to go see God. So to me, that's, it brings joy to my life. You know, it brings, it brings joy to my heart. Now, does it hurt? Yeah, it's painful. And when you understand the fruit of the Spirit, you, you'll not only have love, joy, you'll, it'll give you peace. It really would. My, I think it was my son that said, I, I didn't think you were coming back, you know, because of, you know, your mom. And I'm at peace with it. I'm at peace with it. You see, as you go through each one of these steps, love, joy, peace, you get the patience that you need, the kindness for other people, the goodness to do the right thing, faithfulness to keep going, and gentleness just to be careful of how you say things and do things, self-control to, to control your anger, your emotions, and, and all the other things. And against such thing, there is no law, the fruit of the Spirit. How is your fruit growing? That's the biggest indicator. Your fruit should be growing in those areas. You know that the Bible says that praise is also a fruit? How's your praise coming along? In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says, Through Him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips. Praise. That's another fruit. As I said earlier when we were singing, I mentioned that how great is our God? Only a genuine believer can worship and express their devotion and praise God. And worship basically is this. You might want to write this down. But worship is basically this. When you praise God for who He is and praise Him for what He does, whether in song, in word, in your life, that is worship. Worship is not the music, though it involves a lot of music. Worship is not you know me falling down, crying, and all kinds of stuff. Worship is recognizing and praising God for who He is and what He's done. And you express your love to God in that manner. Not because of what He's giving you or how you feel. It has nothing to do with me. It's all about God. I didn't get nothing out of that worship experience. Sorry to disappoint you, bud, but it wasn't for you. <laughs> it's the sacrifice of lips. The, the fruit of the lips is praise. How's your praise coming along? Can you praise Him in all things? Can you praise, praise you, Lord? You know, I praise God that, that you know, we, we struggle because it builds our character. It develops us a little bit more. 
Meaty needs. Meaty needs is another way of your spiritual fruit growing. How is that coming along? Paul, when he's talking to the people in Rome, he's saying, you know, I've collected the money from the Macedonians and I'm going down to Jerusalem. I'm going to take it down there. And, you know, it was just great the way they just gave. And he says, therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, in other words, what he's collected, I shall go by the way of you to Spain. He never made it to Spain. But he's on his way to Jerusalem to take the gift. That's why he had to go. And he was arrested in, in Jerusalem. But, but he was excited that they had given of themselves, of the fruit that they had themselves have prospered from. In, Gal- in Philippians 4.17, we talked about this yeah, right as soon as we finished the book of Philippians. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The fruit. You, you know, are, are you giving on a regular basis of your time? Are you giving of your, your finances? Are you giving of your talents and what, what you've got, what you've been able to do? Uh, you know, some of you are thinking, I don't know how to put this into practice at the church. He says, what can you do? All I can do is text. That's all I know how to do. Well, good. You know what? Let me give you a bunch of numbers and text them. Hey, how are you? We love you. We miss you. Hope to see you soon. How about something like that? I can do that? Yeah. Some of you got that ability to do that. How about write letters? How about send cards to those that no longer come here? That have lost people. You know, you know, you know I, I, I can't, I don't have, you know, well, what about your finances? Well, I can't afford to give. You know, brother, you can't afford not to give. Everybody should give a little bit, but you should give it all. That's the standard of the Bible. You see, that's part of your spiritual gift. That's part of your uh, fruit. Because you see, giving, tithing, uh, whatever it is, that, you know, what you give of your time, of your talent, all of that, that is all given to you by God. And how you view your treasures, your time, and your talents, how you view that shows what type of heart you have. And if you want to hold on to it like this, then God says, well, you know, that's, that's not fruitful. That's not going to happen. Another, another uh, fruit is righteous living. And here's, here's something that's a little bit more, you know what, they all are. You can, they're good indicators. You can kind of see how you stand in each one of these. Righteous living or holiness. In Luke chapter 3, um, and, and also in, 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 um, in Matthew, John the Baptist is preaching and proclaiming and baptizing and, uh, and preparing the way of the Lord, and people are coming forward, and they're getting baptized, and he says, uh, repent, uh, repent, in, in the way of submission, and also of repentance. And that is the fruit that you have. Your fruit will be shown. At, well, let's go there in Luke chapter 3, very quickly. Because I'm getting a few, Luke, Mark, and Matthew. And Luke 3, 7. And Luke 3, 7, he said, He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And then he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And then he goes to verse 11. You go there, and it says this. And the crowds asked him, well, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I bear that kind of fruit? Repentance, what do I do? What then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. In other words, share with others. Share with others. Has God blessed you in such a way that you can just, whatever you do, it just seems to grow and develop and share with others? Because you see, you cannot outgive God. The more that you share, the more that you give, the more that you do, God blesses you to be able to do that again. You're supposed to be a conduit, not a reservoir. Not to hold it all back in, a conduit to let it flow. And it just seems that the more you give, the more God just lets it flow. Look at verses 12 and 13. Uh, because other people says, well, that's good for you to say, but what about the tax collectors? See, tax collectors were the vilest people on the planet, according to the Jews, because most tax collectors, if not all, were Jewish people, and they worked for the government, and they took money, and they taxed people for everything. They had a walking tax, a gate tax, a sitting tax. They had taxes for, you know, what do you got there? I got three watermelons. Ah, okay, that's three watermelon tax. And they would tax them for everything. So the tax collectors, they, got, they were convicted. They said, well, what about us? And we came to be baptized. Teachers, what shall we do? 
And he said to them, collect no more than you should. Collect no more than you're authorized to. Don't take more than, than you should. He didn't say, okay, you know, stop collecting taxes. We still got to pay taxes. But if my business is to collect the taxes and to make sure that everybody is treated fairly, then I need to treat everyone else fairly in whatever I do. And in Luke 13, 14, the, the soldiers came up to them and John says to them, look, just don't use your power. Don't abuse your power. Don't extort money because you're a cop or you're a soldier, whatever the case may be. He says, you know, don't abuse your influence. In other words, your attitude changes and your fruit starts to grow according to repentance, righteous living. You see, in Ephesians 2.10, it says, you were created by your God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You don't get saved by good works, but once you're saved, you're, you're created by God to do good works. Now, many of you are doing good works. That, that fruit seems to grow. It abounds. And, and I know I will see it once we come to the Fireman's Appreciation Banquet. I mean, you just come out with a lot of love, and you cook, and you bake, and you, you, know, you give your sacrifice of time for that. See, when the Bible talks about fruit, these are the four or five things that the Bible talks about. It's not talking about an abundant ministry, but yes, that is also included. Fruit is new converts. Fruit is new converts. How is that coming along with you? And so when we talk about fruit, when we talk about these things, you see, Paul is praying for the church in Colossae. He says, I want you to grow in the knowledge of God's will. I want you to walk worthy of the Lord, and I want you to bear much fruit. Those are the things that you need to do because that keeps you from being idle. You know, when you're not doing anything, you're just tempting the devil to tempt you. When your mind is idle, when your mind is sitting there early in the morning, late at night, looking at the computer, looking at TV, when nobody else is watching, right? You know, I mean, you're just, you're just tempting the devil to tempt you. You've got to be bearing fruit for righteousness. You know, I'm just going to go to the last verse very quickly at the end of the outline. We're going to come back to this tomorrow, uh, next week. In the last verses, 13 through 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. If nothing else, we ought to be grateful for that. We're no longer in this domain of darkness. You don't have to be praying for God to deliver you from Satan or from evil. You don't have to be praying for God to get rid of your sins. You've been delivered. You've been delivered. You have redemption. You've been forgiven. Just move on and bear fruit. Let me ask you to stand. Okay, it didn't turn out to a two-bottle message. When Paul, when John was asked, what must I do? I, I, I'm, I'm just praying and hoping that maybe some of you might have asked the same thing. What must I do? If, if I need to bear fruit, what do I got to do? Well, first and foremost, as John replied, well, repent. Bear fruit according to repentance. If you've repented, then bear fruit. If you've repented and if you've asked Jesus Christ to continually be your Lord and Savior, then bear fruit. And it's not the amount that you bear. It's just fruit. Jesus wants you to bear much fruit, but for some, much fruit might be just, you know, one or two clusters. But some of you are gifted in such a way that you can bear much fruit. And for others, you know, I, you only receive so many talents. Remember that. One guy received one, another guy received five, another guy received ten. And the one that received ten, he doubled it tenfold. That was his gift. That was his ability to. The one that had five, he only, he doubled his in five. But the one that had one, the Bible says that, he says, I was afraid to use it because I was afraid to lose it. You wicked, lazy servant. I, I pray that, that those aren't words you hear when you meet the Lord in heaven. You know, but, but I was busy. I was trying. I was doing. I was, you know, more people, are, more parents are more concerned of getting their kids onto the baseball team than they are getting them into the kingdom. I was constantly going here and there. You have talent. You have abilities. 
God wants you to use that. He's given it to you to bear fruit. Father in heaven, once again. We know that fruit needs to be done. It's got to, it's got to come out. And we're praying for that, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you continue to use your word to sharpen us, to cut away that which is not bearing fruit right now. Give us the ability to see that and to know that and to understand that regardless of what happens in our life, that you're always going to be gentle. And Lord, if we're not being disciplined, if things aren't taking us to, to your word, then Lord, we need to really look at, at life and to see what we value the most. We say we value you. And I pray that we can. Thank you once again for your word. As powerful and as quick and alive as it is, that cuts deep down. So Father, we don't want to be useless, worthless vines. We want to bear fruit. Thank you for that promise. That if we remain in you, we will bear that fruit. So thank you, Lord, once again for this day and all that you give us. Help us to move from this place changed, different, because of what your word said to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.